Romans chapter 15. Here we are. If you were with us last week, you know that we started Romans 15. We went through the first seven verses. We're going to read verses 14 through 22 this morning, and I'm going to read through the entire thing, and then we're going to back up and talk a little bit about it. Uh, Romans 15, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written you quite boldly in some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it was written, or as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. God, we commit this scripture to you. It is your word. Plant it deep in our hearts so that we may understand through the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, if you've been walking with us through this scripture, through the book of Romans, you've heard a lot of different things. You've heard about the wrath of God. You've heard about the grace of God. You've heard about the power of God. You've heard about walking in the spirit of God, basically who we are without God, who we have become because of God, how we can walk in relationship with God. And you've heard things about the sovereignty of God, the will of God, and what it means for us to ask God questions, but not to question God. And in chapter 12, Paul turned a corner and began giving specific instructions to the church in Rome on how they should live. Romans 12.1, some of you may recall, he said, to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. And that's what Christians are supposed to do. As we follow Christ, our minds are supposed to be transformed so that we no longer think like the world, we begin to think like God. Because the Spirit of God lives in us, and he calls us to be transformed. And we've walked through this over the last number of weeks. And we recognize that he has given very specific instruction through this book on how this church should live. Interestingly enough, he spent two-thirds of the book reminding this church of the foundation of their faith. These are people he never met before. He never met the Christians in Rome at that point, but he spent two-thirds of the book reminding them of the foundation of their faith, and then he began to remind them how they're supposed to conduct themselves from chapter 12 on. Here in chapter 15, he references something called spiritual maturity and reminds them that mature followers of Christ are committed to helping other followers grow spiritually. Last week, I got this started in my message I called Selfless Living in a Selfish World, that we can come up with a definition of what selflessness looks like, but it may not be God's definition. Selfless living, according to Scripture, in this passage when he's talking to the Roman Christians, is when Christians give of themselves patiently and selflessly by helping other Christians grow spiritually. We talked about it being an obligation last week, that God 
gives us an obligation that if you're going to be spiritually mature, one of the marks of being spiritually mature is that you are impressed and persuaded. You're compelled to help others grow as you are growing. That's part of one of the pieces, and he talked about that very clearly. He talked about Scripture in the first seven verses of Romans 15. The Scripture tells us what we should do or instruction. And then he gave us the example of Jesus, and Jesus shows us how it should look. By example, Jesus selflessly poured himself out for our sake. We, in response, should do the same for others. Paul continues the message of helping others spiritually by encouraging and instructing the Christians in Rome. Now, I want to be clear about this. Um, The New Testament church, sometimes people think the New Testament church ends in the New Testament. Can I tell you this morning, we are the New Testament church. In 2021, right here in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, or if you're watching or listening from anywhere in the country or the world, we are the New Testament church. What he says in God's word applies to us just like it applied to them. We have to understand what he's saying. And what I'm saying is that the expectation for them is also the expectation for us today. As we grow spiritually, we should be maturing and helping others grow spiritually. So today we're going to talk a little bit about maturity, and that's what those verses we're, we're talking through. Maturity. Maturity that multiplies. And it begins with, sendering, with surrendering our lives to the giver of life. Real maturity today is the kind of maturity that multiplies by be, and begins with surrendering our lives to the giver of all lives. So a few questions for you this morning. Um, if you are a Christian and you're listening this morning, you've made a decision to follow Christ at some point in your life, how qualified do you feel you are to share the message of Christ with other people? Think about it just for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus today, how qualified do you feel to share the message of Christ? Let me ask it a different way. Do you feel mature enough? And how do you know if you are mature enough to do that? This is a struggle I think a lot of Christians have, not feeling ready or equipped to share with others. I've heard people say things like, you know, if I can just get my friend or my family member to the church and a pastor can speak with them, everything's going to be okay. I've heard people say that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that concept because, I mean, the the church leaders are intended to help others and God purposes us to equip other people to know Christ and to do the work of the ministry. So there's some truth in that, but for some people, that's as far as it goes. That their obligation is to get someone in someone else's life and then everything will be okay. And I think a lot of that isn't because people don't want to share I think it's because people sometimes don't think they're qualified to share. Or what could they possibly offer? Or they don't have enough scripture in their heart. They don't know the right thing to say or how to say it. So I understand the sentiment, but it's an incomplete perception of how our faith works in this world. We are called to mature, every one of us. And as a result of that maturity, we will invest ourselves in helping others grow. God did not intend us in the word to trust in him, to get saved, and then spend the rest of our lives as infants. You see, some people think maturity is guaranteed. I've heard people say things like, time heals all wounds. Time does not heal all wounds. Intentionality over time heals wounds. 
If you don't believe me, talk to the person that suffered trauma 30, 40 years ago or something difficult in their lives decades ago that they've never tried to work on, they've never tried to deal on. Time doesn't heal that wound. Intentionality over time heals that wound. And the same thing goes with maturity. Maturity isn't just something that happens over time. It's intentionality over time. How do I know this? Because there are physical adults in this world that act like children, right? Don't look at anyone next to you, by the way, after I just said that. That is not the point. Some of you may think about some people in your mind and say, I know a 30-year-old that acts like a 12-year-old. I know a 50-year-old that acts like a teenager. I don't know. Time in itself doesn't make us mature. Intentionality over that time makes us mature. And it's the same with Christians as we mature in our faith. God calls us, he redeems us, he saves us, and then he calls us to grow. He calls us to mature in our faith. He calls us to no longer stay as babies. Yet that requires us to surrender our lives to Christ. It's not a badge of honor to say that I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years when I've repeated the third grade 17 times. That's actually a little embarrassing, if I'm being honest. You know, I think about, like, I always think about this in the world of guitar. People say, how many years have you played guitar? I'm like, wow, 30 years? Wow, you've been praying for 30 years? I'm like, yeah, but I, I repeated the fourth grade for 25 years. You know, like, I don't play like a 30-year-old master guitar player. Come on. Intentionality over time matures you, not just time in itself. So I hope you understand, and you're tracking with where I'm, where I'm going with this. We are called to mature. Some of us get stuck and don't grow. Others are growing, and they continue to pursue how to get closer to God through that process and to live for him. Yes, they're growing. But my question to people that are growing as well is, are you giving away what you're getting? Because there is a danger even in this category. Sometimes people get so caught up in experiencing God that they forget that they have a reason and a purpose around taking that to give it away. Remember, the mission of the church is to know God and then to make him known. Not just to know God. Sometimes, I've heard this phrase many times over the years, people can become so heavenly minded that they become no earthly good. I have Jesus. I'm growing. The Holy Spirit's speaking to me and talking to me and I'm, I'm learning and I'm deepening in scripture and, I, and God's talking to me, but I'm not doing really anything with it or I lose sight of reaching people who don't know Jesus. That's not maturity. All of it has to come together. As we say in our lobby, we have to listen for God. We have to learn from his word, and then we have to go do something with it for us to spiritually mature. So if you're going to pursue spiritual growth and become mature in your walk with Christ, you will begin to help others by leading them. That is absolutely assumed. Spiritual maturity results in us helping others grow in Christ. So we're going to look at three things this morning that are marks or parts of spiritual maturity. I'm not saying they're the only ones, but I think they're very significant. And in this chunk of passage, when Paul is talking to this church of believers he's never met before, he talks to them about their maturity in Christ. And he speaks to them very clearly, teaching them and telling them through encouragement just how mature they are. They're all in verse 14 of Romans 15. Look what he says. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. He was so kind and complimentary to these people. He's never met them, but he's heard great things about them. It's much different than the words that he spoke to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3.1. <laughs> he 
He says very unkind things to them about their immaturity. Or the writer of Hebrews, who tells the writer of Hebrews tells the church he wrote to that those Christians were slow to learn, that you need milk, not food, meaning you're still babies and infants in the Lord. Very different way of approaching this, but he speaks with great intentionality and encouragement for this church because their track record has been a track record of growth and maturity. So what are the three marks that we see in verse 14 that he begins to expand upon? I think there are these three things. Number one, they're full of goodness. Then they're filled with knowledge and they're competent to instruct one another. They're full of goodness. They are filled with knowledge and they are competent to instruct one another. What does this mean? Well, goodness means that they reflect a desire for God-centered morality. Because remember what the scripture says, who is good? Jesus says it. Who is good in this world? Only who? God. Only God is good. So the goodness he's referring to is a moral foundation that is God-centered. When they are full of goodness, they filter their thoughts, their decisions, their morality on the foundation of God, not on the foundation of man. That's goodness. Then he talks about knowledge. And the word that's used there is gnosis. And it means that they had excellent instruction in their faith that contributed to growth, and they understood how to apply it. So they were filled with knowledge. They understood the truth of God's word. They understood what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And they did something with it. See how that works? Their moral absolutes are God-based. They understand the truth of God's word. And then they went and did something with it. And then the last thing that he talks about, and this is what we're going to camp on this morning. It says we are competent to instruct one another. Competent to instruct one another. And I want to show you something that I looked at this week that just blew my mind, and I think it's so powerful. What does competent mean? What does competent mean? Well, if you look up the word that Paul used here to the church in Romans, he used a word, dunamai. Competent, he used the word dunamai. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural manner. They were competent to instruct one another, that they were manifesting influence, they were making a difference in other people in a supernatural manner. Because when we're followers of Christ, there's two worlds that we now walk in. There's the kingdom of the world and there's the kingdom of what? God. They were competent to instruct one another through the dunamai, through the power, through the influence over reality in a supernatural way. This word shows up in a few other areas of the New Testament. One of the most significant ones that many people talk about is in Acts 1.8. When Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves the earth, he says, go and wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And what does he say in verse 8? But you will receive power. Say it with me power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth this is the same root word Luke used in Acts when he said Jesus followers needed to wait for the Holy Spirit that Paul uses in Romans the same word they were filled with goodness full of goodness they were filled with knowledge and they were competent to share God's word They were competent to instruct others. What is he saying there? They had the spiritual power 
to change things, to influence other people, and the power comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from everything they knew. It doesn't come from everything they did. All of those things were subject to the power they had through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's teaching them, you've shown yourself to be mature. Roman Christians, you have shown yourself to be morally excellent and to know things and apply them, and you've shown yourself to be filled with the power of God's Spirit. Those three things have to happen for us to make a difference spiritually in the world that we live in carnally. How does Paul know this? How does he know this? Well, everything, think about this with me, everything that the Roman church accomplished that he talked about was not done on their own. He used goodness. Well, what is goodness? Is goodness a gift in the Bible? No. Goodness is not a gift of the Spirit. Goodness is what? A fruit of the Spirit. They had the goodness of God in them. They had the fruit of God. And where does that fruit come from? In Galatians 5.22, we know, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And it was produced in these people. Knowledge comes from the counselor. In John 15, Jesus said when he left, it would be a good thing because what would God do? He would send who? The counselor. And the counselor instructs and teaches and understands. He advocates on our behalf. Everything points to the competency that he was saying, this church knew how to walk. This church knew how to live. This church knew how to take the truths of God and apply it to the world, not in their own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't just take the understanding and commit it in their heads. They let it get to their hearts so that the world could be changed. And Paul was continuing to encourage them in this. It has always been God's intent for his church to live life through the power of his Holy Spirit, not in the power of man. Can I say that again? It has always been God's intent that the church of Jesus Christ lives as the church should live through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through the power of man. Are we so stuck in our ways, and I'm speaking to myself, not really to you on this, to say when we look back and we look at the things that we've accomplished, if you are competent in things in this world, you can build buildings, you can, you can become, uh, you can graduate summa cum laude. You can become the leader of the free world. All of these things are at your disposal if you're competent in the world. But Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then he said this, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Not because he wasn't saying the practical things have merit on earth. He's saying they're the physical things and they're the spiritual things of the earth. And the physical things are temporary. The spiritual things in this world are eternal. And he didn't come to just give us physical benefit. He came to change the world for eternity. Amen? That's what he did. That's the whole point of what he's saying. And it's always been God's intent then for his church to live life that way, saying, it is not my strength that I accomplish things. It is the strength of the Holy Spirit in me that I accomplish things. I can't trust in my ability, my physical strength. Paul says this in Timothy, that physical training has some value. That's okay, but spiritual training has major value, not just for this life, but for the life to come. We need to be focusing on the eternal, not just on the practical. And can I tell you, that's exactly what the enemy doesn't want us to do. 
He wants us to focus on the practical, not the eternal. I was talking to a friend just the other week, and I asked them a question, and I said to them, what is one lie that the devil keeps telling you over and over again that you know is a lie, but you need to continue to say to yourself, that's not true? And the response they came back with, I'm not qualified. I'm not enough. I don't have the ability or the skill to do what God's calling me to do. And I know it's a lie, but I keep hearing it over and over again. And you know what I told them? I said, here's what I think you should do. When you hear it, agree. You're not competent enough. You don't have the ability. You're right. You're right, devil. I don't. You can't do that. You're right, devil. I can't. Some of you are going, why are you saying that? (laughs) That sounds discouraging. Here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to solve spiritual issues, physical means. He's trying to see and get you to look at things that are impossible in the physical realm, but try to fix them in the physical realm. So he's right. Paul, you can't do that. You're right, devil, I can't. You can't accomplish that. You're right, I can't. Wait a minute, why are you agreeing with me? Because it's never about us. It's about the Spirit of God living through us. It's never about what I can do in my own strength. And he's really, really good. He's really good at getting our eyes off of the things that God wants to do in us and focusing on the only thing we can do ourselves. This is an impossible task. I'm never going to be able to do this. You can't accomplish that. You can't do that. You're right, I can't. But if God wills me to do that and God empowers me to do it through his spirit, it will happen in Jesus' name. You know what I'm talking about? Listen to Theo's testimony earlier when he spoke. In his head, Jesus is not God. In his mind, he was taught he was a prophet. He wasn't the son of God. And the power of Jesus. There isn't a man on the planet that could make that, woman, that little kid walk when she was born completely crippled with, with um, weak little legs. The power of Jesus that says, if you want to see good things happen in this world, if you want to see supernatural things happen in this world, don't focus on what you can do in the physical. Make sure that what you're focusing on is the Spirit of God working through you. Because in the name of Jesus, people are healed. In the name of Jesus, blind people can see. In the name of Jesus, addictions can be broken. In the name of Jesus, the the merry-go-round that we feel like we are never off of can be stopped. In the name of Jesus, we can have peace and joy where there is chaos and anxiety. Amen? This is what it needs to come down to. We need to understand, and I need to be reminded of that myself over and over again, that when I feel like I'm incapable of doing it, I need to remind myself, maybe in that moment, God's trying to teach me something too. To say, you can't do it, Paul. That's why you need my spirit. That's why you need to nurture the spirit that lives in you. That's why you need to be more available and surrendered to the spirit. Because as you grow, you will see that there is progress. You will see that there is benefit. Paul reminds them of all of this with his own life and his own experience. Look at verse 17. He says, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything. Look what he says. Anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. This is a guy who probably had three or four. He equated his experience and education was three to four PhDs at our level in his mid-20s. This is a guy, he said, that was faultless in following the law. This was a Pharisee of a Pharisee who had all of these physical things that he could quote as his accomplishments. And he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said 
and what I have done. And then look at 19. By the power of signs and wonders. Through the power of the Spirit of God. So for Jerusalem, all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. What is he saying? All of his ability, talent, was all subject to the power of God. He didn't focus on what he could do in the physical. He focused on nurturing the spiritual. So that the dunamis, the power of God, would work through him and they would see supernatural things. Can I tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian this morning, there are people in this world that will never understand you. They won't. They think you're crazy sometimes. True story. You might, if you don't believe me, then go have a conversation with a few more people. I mean, we've talked about, like, we believe that, you know, God came and his son died for us and he rose from the dead. And what do you believe? This is, sounds a little hokey. But when God does something through his spirit, what's fact becomes the foundation of our lives. When God moves on his behalf in our lives, what doesn't make sense to us in the physical becomes clear in the spiritual. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24, and we're not going to go there, but I'm going to tell you what Paul said to the Corinthian church. He said, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. What is he saying? To come to Christ, a Jewish person wants to see you do signs and wonders. The Greek person wants education and knowledge and wisdom, right? So why doesn't God just do that? And look what Paul says. He goes, but we preached Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Think about what he's saying. He's saying the Jewish people are saying for us to believe in this gospel, we want to see signs and wonders. You want to see miracles? You want to see amazing things? How about Jesus dying for you? What? Everybody dies. That doesn't make any sense. That's foolishness. The death of Christ is the greatest miracle you'll ever see. It doesn't make sense to them. You go to a Greek, and the Greek says, I want deep truth and deep knowledge, and I want to understand because as I elevate myself in knowledge, I can become more like God. Because you want to know what knowledge looks like? How about dying to yourself and become a servant to the world? What? That doesn't make any sense. It's what? Foolishness to the world. But both of those things, he said, God used to both the Jews and the Greeks. Why? Because Christ was the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. Amen? Isn't that powerful when you think about it? When the Holy Spirit starts to work around you and through you, things don't always look the same and that's okay. That's okay if it doesn't look the same. The gospel didn't give Jews and Gentiles what they wanted. They gave him what they needed. So don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. God has given you the power of the Spirit to make a difference. The power of God he has for each of us is to become mature and is for everyone, not just for those called into full-time ministry. We have been in error, I think, in our churches sometimes as elevating passion and equating passion with the calling to full-time ministry. When maybe it's not about how much or how hungry you are for God. Maybe it's just the fact that God expects us to grow up and mature. Vodi Bakum is an author and a teacher, and he's a former, former pastor. Some of you maybe have heard his name before. And he currently serves as the dean of theology at the African Christian University in Lusaka, Zambia. And I have a clip that I want to show you for a few minutes this morning. And it's an excerpt from a conference that challenges the church, specifically the Christian men in the church, 
to be sound in faith and be mature as God's called us to be mature. Take a look. Sound in faith. Sound in faith. One of the marks of a man who's been walking with God over time is that he ought to be sound in faith. If there is anything that burdens me, it is this idea. In our culture, in modern American Christianity, we will not tolerate biblical, theological, and spiritual maturity in men. Let me say that again. In modern American Christianity, we will not tolerate biblical, spiritual, theological maturity in men. We just can't have it. Nothing above mediocrity. Oh, what do you mean? I mean, we're at this conference, and we, I mean, of course we're all about this. We want men to be mature. We want men to grow up. Listen, I can prove it to you. In most of our churches, if you have a young man who's 16, 17, 18 years old, and this young man is reading church history, and he's reading theology, he knows his Bible, he's studying his Bible, he has a passion for the Word of God, has a passion for the things of God, and a passion for the people of God. You know what happens in the average American church? They look at that 16, 17, 18-year-old young man and they say, God must be calling you to preach. Really? Why? Because you love the Bible, you love theology, you love church history, you're passionate about the things of God. Now, what we ought to say is, well, that just means you're a Christian, right? No, not in the modern American church. And you know this is true. In the modern American church, if a young man gets that serious about the things of God, immediately the mediocrity of manhood in the modern American church says, you need to get away from the rest of us because we will not tolerate your passion. You've got to go get a seminary degree. You've got to go become a pastor. You've got to put reverend in front of your name so that I no longer feel guilty about my own mediocre pursuits. And because of that, Modern American Christianity is the only place in our culture where we will tolerate this cognitive dissonance between a man who will say, I've been walking with God 30, 40, 50 years, and I know nothing. Because anywhere else, I don't care what, you name the field. Name the field where in our culture, and I'm talking about just anybody, just lost pagans. Name the field. I don't care if it's bricklaying. I don't care if it's truck driving, whatever it is. If there's a man on the job who says, I've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And another young man comes to the job and says, hey, I've heard you've been doing this 30 years, 40 years. I know if there's anybody who can show me the ropes, you can show me the ropes. And we'd all say, yeah, of course, if he's been doing it that long, you ought to be able to come to him. He ought to be able to show you the ropes. Well, what if? The young man comes to the older man who's been doing this for 30, 40, 50 years and says, Brother, you've been laying bricks for 40 years and I've just started. Can I just come alongside you and watch you so that I can learn how to be a bricklayer? Because I'm sure you're a master at it now. Oh, I ain't no master bricklayer. I don't know nothing about no bricks. Now, see, we laugh. But how about this? You've been walking with God 20, 30, 40 years. Sir, can
Can I come alongside you as a younger man and you mentor me in doctrine, theology, Bible, and church history? What's the response? I ain't no preacher. It's the only place in America where we accept something so ludicrous. Where a man can say, I've been walking with God 30, 40 years, and I proudly declare, I know nothing. I'm ignorant. I'm a babe in Christ. A 40-year-old baby, and I'm not ashamed of it. Nowhere else is that acceptable. Only in the church. Only in the church. But the text says, one of the evidences of a man that belongs to God who has been walking with God over time, is that he is sound in faith. He's sound. We're called to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. And yet we proudly proclaim that because we don't have ordination papers, we're unwilling and unable to do it. If nothing else... Just having read through the Bible for 40 years ought to make you somewhat of an expert. Amen? Powerful words, right? Powerful words. His words are not spoken to condemn anyone. They're to challenge people, to not call them out, but to call them up. To call them up. To be reminded of the fact this morning, church, that all of us are called to walk in spiritual maturity. You and I are all called to walk with an attitude of spiritual maturity. Just like Paul encourages this New Testament church in Rome. You guys have walked. You guys have been in relationship with God. You are competent. You have the power of the Holy Spirit walking or living in you. And because of that, Others are going to see the gospel. Others are going to walk in in the faith of Christ. Others are going to know him in a new way. We have to become more mature. Now you might listen to some of this and say, but I I don't know how to do that. What does it look like? Remember, this doesn't come from your, your desire physically. It's about you surrendering yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit. I said earlier that maturity, true spiritual maturity, is maturity that multiplies And that only begins with surrendering our lives to the giver of life. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. See what Paul's saying there is? Since we've been made alive through the Holy Spirit, and he has been the one to make us alive, let's continue the journey and let, let him make us more alive every day that we would say no to the things that we thought were godly and say yes to the things that are for Jesus. That we would not live for ourselves selfishly, but we would lay our lives down to live selflessly. That's the message, and that only comes through the power of God's Holy Spirit. But, But let's be real honest about what I'm talking about with this is you could look at other people and go, I could never accomplish and be where somebody else is. And can I tell you, that is a lie. You may not be there today, But God doesn't call us tomorrow to run marathons if we've never learned how to walk. He just calls us to take a step. Today, 
the gifts, physical gifts, the, the skills, the hobbies that I have, that I'm competent in, were not there when I was an infant. Maybe it was in me, maybe the potential was in me, but no one would have assumed or expected me as an infant to do the things then that I can do today. But as we grow, as we mature, as we surrender ourselves to teaching and instruction and intentionality, we begin to mature. We begin to see God work in our lives. We begin to see the Holy Spirit transform us from the inside out. You hear me? We need to submit ourselves to the process. We need to, as we like to do in Pentecostal churches when we sing, we put our hands like this. Oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable, Pastor Paul. Well, you don't have to do it. But we're not like, our antennas don't get higher so the Holy Spirit can make contact with us when we do this. It's simply just an expression of saying, I am yours, I am surrendering, and I need you. This is the message of the church. This is the posture of our heart to God. And as we do that every day of our lives, as we walk every day of our lives with a posture like this, we go from a babe to giants in the world. And then when the devil looks at you and says, you can't do that, you can say, I know I can't do that. That's why the Spirit lives in me. That's why I follow the Spirit. That's why I trust in His Holy Spirit because I can't accomplish any of this on my own. I can only do it through Christ. Amen? This is the Word of God. Every one of you that's listening today, this applies to. Every one of you can go from where you are today to where God wants you to go. He doesn't want us to be 40 and 50 year old people walking with Christ, but we're still infants in the Lord. He wants us to grow and make a difference in our lives so that we can be different and share the truth in the lives of others. Would you stand with me, please? Worship team is going to take a little few moments and sing a song. And, and I'd like you to, if you want to sing, you can, but, but can we just be real? Whatever it is you're thinking of doing when you leave the service, you know it'll still be there if you wait 10 minutes longer. What is the Holy Spirit asking you this morning? What is he talking to you about? Do you need to stand? Do you need to kneel? Do you need to come to the altar and just have some time with God? That's why we're here. And as the team begins to sing, the open invitation is there for you and for me and anyone else to just spend some time talking with God and asking him how he can touch you and draw you closer to him. And it begins with a heart of surrender.